0: You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. All right, good morning, everyone. Morning to the four or five of you. I appreciate that. Thanks, Derek, for sitting up front. Uh, He's my guy. How's everybody doing? Good, it's good to be with you all. Um, thanks everybody for joining us live in person. Um, it's great to see all of your wonderful faces, especially as uh, things are getting easier on us to gather. It's awesome. And uh, don't wanna forget those who are joining us online, either live or later on. Uh, hi mom, I hope you watch this some, at some point. Uh, I'm super uh, excited to be with you this morning. Um, and my goal for this morning uh, is to have fun. And I felt like that's what God spoke to me and said, have fun. If you come to our Wednesday night classes, I told, I told you guys that that Wednesday night is like the funnest time of my week. And I actually uh, mean that with all genuine honesty. I love uh, the Bible, I love God's word and I love being with his people. And so that's the plan for this morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, Uh, Please turn with me to our text this morning. It's going to be in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 15 through 17. And Kenny's going to have it up here on the screen. Uh, Side note, I am using the ESV this morning. I know that's not typical. That's just the Bible I use. So I wanted to make it easier myself. And I'm going to actually have you guys, if you can, stand with me uh, just to get a little bit more motion in us this morning. If you can. If you don't want to, obviously you don't have to. Uh, And uh, you can follow along as I read from the text Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Uh, Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much for uh, the amazing gift of your word, Lord, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would lead me and lead us into uh, application of your text this morning, God. So we just submit ourselves to you and uh, ask that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in our midst and you would be glorified and that you would be honored uh, here in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. You may be seated. I feel kind of weird saying that, but if you don't say that, then you'll probably just stand for the rest of the sermon. So um, I'm also going to uh, start my timer uh, so then we're not here all morning because I can talk for a long time. So I won't do that to you guys. All right, so before we get into our text this morning, I want to just catch us up briefly with where we've been as a church. And so for the past, I think it's seven months now, in August of 2021, we started our series on the Sermon on the Mount, which is the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And So this is Jesus' longest discourse or sermon that he gave, Sermon on the Mount, And essentially, this is Jesus teaching his followers how they are to live in God's kingdom. If you are going to be a a Jesus person, then you need to do what Jesus says. And so this is that discourse. This is the sermon. And we've talked about uh, a lot of difficult topics. Uh, We've talked about anger, or Jesus has, rather. Anger, lust, retaliation, money, prayer, etc. We've talked about a lot of... um, Great topics and a lot of hard topics for some of us, Um, but that's what Jesus does best. He gets at our hearts. And so last week, Pastor Riz covered chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, which um, is kind of called the broad and narrow gates, the broad and narrow gates. And he mentioned before that this is where, starting in verse 13 of chapter 7, this is kind of where the Sermon on the Mount is kind of coming towards its conclusion, This is kind of a few last thoughts of Jesus before uh, he moves on to other ministry. And what's interesting is that in light of the previous chapters, right, chapters 5, 6, and half of 7, this has been Jesus giving commands to his followers. Jesus knows, and he's well aware of the realities of the dangers of false prophets. These false prophets, he knows, are going to come and try to undermine and distort and twist and pervert the things that he's just said to his followers. And so that's why he gives his people this warning in chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. So one of the other things besides just having fun this morning is to just systematically go through the text and point out a few uh, interesting observations that I have uh, noticed in my study and kind of discuss a little bit about what Jesus meant by all of this. What would his... Disciples. What would the people on the sermon, uh, on the mountaintop, understand when Jesus uses some of this imagery? And then try to, as best as I can, relate it to our lives today. Because I, I'm not sure if you woke up this morning and the first thing you thought of is, man, I hope we talk about false prophets at church. Like, what in the world? Thank you. We have one, uh, one Bible nerd with us. I, I'm, I don't know on... Like any planet, anybody would ever think that. Unfortunately, that's not what I thought either this morning when I woke up. Um, When I woke up, unfortunately, the first thing that was in my mind was a Miley Cyrus song. And I have no idea why. And I spent like an hour this morning trying to listen to other things to get it out of my mind. And I wish I was super spiritual and would wake up with like scripture right in my mind, but I'm not quite there yet. Uh, But anyways, we're going to talk about false prophets. And I actually picked this text on purpose because I love prophets and I love talking about the prophets and I love talking about false prophets and I promise you, by the end of this morning, you're going to hopefully have a better understanding of how this actually relates to our lives today. How does Jesus' warning about false prophets relate to our lives today? So if you have the text in front of you, or Kenny will probably have it up here on the screen, Let's look together at how Jesus begins this section. Jesus warns of false prophets. So the first thing I observe is a warning, right? Look at what it says. Jesus says, beware of false prophets. In the ESV, I like this translation because it says beware, and that just does a little bit more to my mental state. In the NIV or other translations, it might translate it as watch out. Watch out or beware. Here we see Jesus is alerting his followers to the dangerous and real reality of false prophets. Jesus is not giving this warning because there's some theoretical idea that he's trying to describe. He knows false prophets are real. And you need to be on the lookout. So if you guys, the first thing that came to my mind was like a beware of dog sign. I'm sure you guys have seen those before, but if you, if you walk up to somebody's house or somebody's yard and you see a beware of dog sign, what is that supposed to do for you? It's supposed to alert you to the real presence that, hey, if you go into this yard, there's going to be a dog. Now, it doesn't say maybe like, hey, warning, this is a chihuahua or something like that, but every time I see one of those, I'm on, a, I'm on high alert And I am anticipating and expecting the reality that I might be met face-to-face with a dog. So just like that sign, this is the case for Jesus and his followers. Jesus is going to give a similar warning to this later on in his gospel. In uh, Matthew chapter 24, verse 11, he says this, And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. 13 verses later, in verse 24 of chapter 24, he says, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. And I'm going to get into that false prophets, and he also describes them as false Christs. So it's not just in chapter 7 that we see this warning, but later on, Jesus gives another warning to his followers. So we, ask our, we should ask ourselves the question, why does he keep talking about these false prophets? And it wasn't just Jesus in the New Testament that warned of false prophets. Almost every book in the New Testament addresses this problem. In the New Testament, they may refer, the writers may refer to them either as false prophets, false apostles, false teachers, or even false Christs. So false prophets, false apostles, false teachers, or even false Christs. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, the first part of that verse, it says this, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Notice what he says there. He says, false prophets are among you, and then they will also continue To be among you. So even the Apostle Peter realized the dangers. And look at what they do. They secretly bring in destructive heresies. Now just remember that little phrase because you're going to see later on, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament text that we we talk about, that it is very secretive. It is very secretive. But these heresies that false prophets, false apostles, false teachers, false Christ what they teach is ultimately destructive. And so we need to be aware. First John 4, 1, the, the second half of that verse says, For many false prophets have already gone into the world. The New Testament authors realize the dangers of false prophets. It's interesting that in the original, the original Greek language of the New Testament, this word false is the Greek word pseudo, which essentially just means lie that these are lying people, they are liars. Now, I want you guys to remember that every good lie has some element of truth, right? It has to be believable, and that is a uh, false heresy 101, false prophecy 101, false teaching 101, is that it's going to sound good at first, and it might sound even true at first, and so we have to be aware of these false prophets. So my takeaway from Jesus' warning is this, is that Jesus wanted his followers to be aware of the reality of false prophets. Jesus wanted his followers to be aware of the reality of false prophets. Now what I want to do is I want to talk a little bit about what a prophet actually was, right? What was a prophet? What is Jesus actually talking about? And we need to talk about what an actual prophet was, let's call them a true prophet, in order to be able to distinguish what a false prophet was, right? Because Jesus talks about false prophets. So what is a false prophet? And I think that if you're like me, this idea of prophets or prophecy can be a little bit foreign or strange. And it, again, depends on how you were brought up. Um, There are certain denominations, maybe, where you experience some of this language more so. Um, than others Um, but i think that the idea of prophecy is a little bit bizarre i kind of think of when i close my my eyes and think of a prophet i think of some fortune teller or somebody like that Uh, but that's not necessarily what a prophet was in jesus's context for addressing false prophets at this point in the story in the narrative of scripture he is referencing the old testament and so we're going to go to the old testament which is something i love to do um, in the Old Testament we come across a lot of prophets, true prophets of God. You guys are familiar with people like Moses, people like Elijah, people like Jeremiah and Isaiah, even women prophets, or prophetesses, I can never say that right, Huldah in Second uh, Kings. And I always wish Holda was named something different, because I'd, be like, I'd love to name like my daughter after her, but I don't, I'm not a big fan of Holda, Sorry if your name is Huldah. Um, and then Deborah in the book of Judges, she was a judge, but she was also uh, called a prophet. And so we, we come across these prophets of God all throughout the Old Testament. And essentially a prophet was this. A prophet spoke on God's behalf. A prophet was somebody who spoke on God's behalf. Look at what 2 Peter one twenty one says. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. These people were inspired by the Spirit of God to then communicate to his people the things that God wanted them to know. And because of this, the prophets in the Old Testament in the story of Israel played a very pivotal role They were the vehicles of communication between God and his people. They carried divine authority. So when a prophet spoke, people were supposed to listen. Because they carried, they spoke as if God was speaking through them to his people. And because of this, just like Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount, after he gives all of these commands to his followers, he gives this warning in the Old Testament, Moses In the book of Deuteronomy, after giving all of these words to the people of Israel, he gives a similar warning about the dangers of false prophets. In Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 1, through the first part of 3, it says this. This is Moses speaking to the Israelites. If a prophet or dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass— And if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or the dreamer of dreams. So we learn from uh, Moses in Deuteronomy that false prophets are going to try to undermine God's word. Because if you're familiar with the Ten Commandments, The third commandment in Exodus chapter 20 verse 3 says this, you shall have no other gods before me. And Moses warns, false prophets are going to come and try to lead you into the worship of other gods. They are going to try to lead you away from faithfulness to God. And so kind of keep that in mind, that this Old Testament context is going to help inform us in the New Testament and then in our lives today. And we see this consistently throughout the Old Testament story. We consistently see false prophets trying to undermine what God wanted his people to know. And one of my favorite examples is in the book of Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, just for a little bit of context, he was was a a prophet of God that ministered uh, in the early sixth century to uh, God's people. And he if you read the book of jeremiah he consistently preached a message of repentance he was calling god's people back to faithfulness to god's word and it had been hundreds and hundreds of years and if you come to our ruth equip class you know from the time period of judges after joshua dies pretty much the whole rest of the old testament is the story of how israel failed to faithfully follow God. And so Jeremiah is living in this time, and he's warning people. He's saying, hey, God's judgment is coming. You need to repent. Turn from your wickedness. That's what a true prophet says. Now look at what the false prophets were saying with me. This is in Jeremiah 23, verse 14. It says this, but in the prophets of Jerusalem, this is God speaking through Jeremiah, I have seen a horrible thing they commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. Whoa, wait a minute. A true prophet is saying, hey, you're living in a way that is unfaithful to God, and so I'm calling you to return. God is calling you to return back to faithfulness. And the false prophets come back, and what do they do? They strengthen the hands of the evildoers so that people do not return to God. They continue In their rebellion. In verse 17 of chapter 23, Jeremiah continues and says this, they say continually to those who despise the word of God, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say no disaster shall come upon you. So this is in direct contradiction to Jeremiah's message. Jeremiah was saying, hey, God has said that judgment will come unless you repent. And they're saying, no, 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 Jeremiah is crazy. Jeremiah, don't listen to that guy. That's not, God would never say that. God would never punish you. God would never judge you. You're fine. They, they proclaim peace. They proclaim security in a time when that was not what God was saying. A contemporary of uh, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, says something similar. He, he prophesied during a similar time. In chapter 13, 20, verse 22 of Ezekiel, he says this about the false prophets. You have encouraged the wicked that he should not turn from his evil way to save his life. You guys see the pattern that Jeremiah and Ezekiel present us about what a false prophet does. A false prophet encourages people in their sin. A false prophet undermines God's word. So that they do not turn from their evil ways. We see that as a characteristic of the Old Testament false prophets. So, what I think we can take away from this warning about false prophets in the first part of our text is that false prophets promote rebellion and unfaithfulness to God's word. And oftentimes it's for their own personal gain, not always. But that's just a little bit of extra information. Oftentimes, it's for their own advantage. They have something to gain, right? Nobody likes people telling them that they're doing something wrong. Nobody likes that, right? Everybody loves when someone comes behind them and says, yeah, you're good, bro. This is what the false prophets did. This is why Jesus in the Gospel of Luke says, woe to you when people speak well of you. Because that's what they did to the false prophets. Why? Because false prophets told the people what they wanted to hear. A true prophet uh, gets the unfortunate circumstance to tell people what they don't want to hear, and if you're Jeremiah, that means you're thrown into a well. And Jesus, in the Gospel of Luke in chapter six, says, blessed are you when people persecute you and revile you for my name's sake, because that's what they did to the, the true prophets. Right? So false prophets tell people what they want to hear, and often for their own gain. So after Jesus' initial warning of the dangers that false prophets uh, can be, and in talking a little bit about what a false prophet is, especially in contrast to a true prophet, Jesus goes to describe these false prophets. And he uses an interesting metaphor. And look at the second half of verse 15 with me. He says this, They are those who come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly ravenous wolves. Now I want you guys to just do a little exercise with me. Just close your eyes as I read this again because you need to actually get it in your mind what the imagery is happening. These people come to you in sheep's clothing but are inwardly ravenous wolves. All right, you can open your eyes. That's, That's an interesting metaphor. And when you come across those kind of things in Scripture, my encouragement is to slow down And just think about it. Why is Jesus using this imagery? What is this imagery communicating about false prophets? When I was was studying this, I was like, why is Jesus using this metaphor? Um, Guess what we're going to do? We're going to go back to the Old Testament because this is why he's using this metaphor. So in the book of Ezekiel, again, I mentioned Ezekiel and Jeremiah. They were prophesying around the same period of time. And Ezekiel has a few interesting notes about how Israel's leaders were behaving during that time. And in Ezekiel chapter 22, I don't think you have it up on the screen, uh, 25, verse 25 and 27, Ezekiel says this The conspiracy of her prophets in her midst are like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured human lives, they have taken treasure and precious things, they have made many widows in her midst. And in verse 27, it says, Her princes in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey, shedding blood, destroying lives to get dishonest gain. That's some vivid imagery that Ezekiel gives about the state of Israel's leaders during that time. The prophets and the princes, the leaders, are supposed to model the character and nature of God. They're supposed to be people that lead the people of God towards God, but what were they doing? They were like roaring lions. They were like wolves, tearing prey. So is there any wonder why Jesus uses the same image, right? He's talking to first century, primarily Jewish audience that are familiar with these texts. And one thing that I thought about when I, when I dwelled on this image was something like this, is that this metaphor seems to indicate that these false prophets are going to be hard to identify. You notice that. They're wolves in sheep's clothing the bible continually talks about how it uses the same this metaphor of god's people being like sheep right jesus does that a lot so it's interesting that these false prophets jesus warns about that they're going to kind of look like church folks you're not going to immediately know that this person's a false prophet they're going to be hard to identify but what's more important than that is not just that they're hard to identify but they are extremely dangerous A wolf, is that how you say it? I never say that word right. A wolf in the midst of a bunch of sheep is going to bring great destruction, right? That's the image that Jesus is painting for his people. Not only are they hard to identify, they're going to look just like you. They're going to talk just like you. They're going to use the truth of Jesus, the truth of God, and they're going to twist it in order to lead you down a destructive path. And so the people of God need to be aware of the realities of false prophets because they are extremely dangerous. The Apostle Paul is going to use this exact same metaphor in the book of Acts when he's talking to the elders of the church in Ephesus. And look at what it says in Acts 20, 29 through 30. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own cells will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. He uses that same image, and look what it says, they will arise among you. A false prophet's not a very good false prophet if, if for, this is going to be an extreme example, if a Satanist was to walk into our church and start saying something, it would be pretty obvious that we shouldn't be listening to that person. Right? That's not how false prophets operate. They're sneaky. They're going to look just like you, they're going to talk like you. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Sorry if you were like overwhelmed by all my scripture references. Sorry, Kenny. This one's not up on the screen. I only put like half of them up on the screen. This is what Paul says. In chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, verses 13, he says, For such men are false prophets, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And later on, he's going to say, And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. False prophets are people who intentionally deceive with the purpose to bring destruction. False prophets are intentionally deceptive with the intention to bring destruction. The last metaphor that Jesus uses in our text is he switches from animals to plants. From animals to plants. So after Jesus gives this initial warning, And this brief description, right? They're like wolves in sheep's clothing. He's now going to give his followers actual practical advice, right? You kind of feel a little bit helpless. Like, okay, then what am I supposed to do? And he's going to switch metaphors to try to give his people a little bit of practical wisdom so they don't fall prey to false prophets. Look with me in uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 16 through 20. You will recognize them by their fruits. If you guys have been to our Ruth class or our Philemon class or any equipped class, you know that we talk about the importance of observing key details. And here we have a repetition. And Jesus says this twice. In the very beginning at the end, he says, you will recognize them by their fruits. This kind of forms what's called an inclusio or like a sandwich around this with the emphasis of you can recognize them, but you recognize them by their fruits. And then you should ask yourself, well, what in the world are those fruits, right? Jesus, what are you talking about? We're going to talk about that in just a minute. I think one of the reasons why Jesus uses this metaphor here, again, is um, I grew up in, like, northeast Ohio, uh, Amish country. I grew up with orchards and gardens and all that kind of stuff. I'm not none of those things. Um, Everything we grew as kids died Um, And the only reason my parents had a garden is because they wanted to build character, because that's what every good parent wants, right? So uh, nothing ever really worked out for us. But one thing I remember about trees in particular, and if you're familiar with trees or not, is let's just say apple trees, for instance. There's a lot of different variations. And for instance, there's red apples and there's green apples, But if you don't know trees very well, and you just see the trees without the fruit, you may not be able to distinguish between the two. But as soon as you see a red apple growing on this tree and a green apple growing on this tree, immediately you know that that is this kind of tree and that kind of tree. Don't ask me if it's a gala apple or a Granny Smith apple, I don't know. And so this is why Jesus gives us this metaphor here. But the thing about, the one thing I do remember about growing uh, fruit on trees is it takes a really long time. It's a lot easier just to go to Safeway and pick it up yourself. It takes a really long time, which is kind of annoying, right? Because you think about, there's false prophets potentially in our midst. They're not going to be easily identifiable, and it may take time You'd actually be able to know whether or not this person is a false prophet, teacher, apostle, or Christ. It takes time. So what I want to do is to move into, as we kind of uh, come to a little bit of a conclusion, I want to kind of talk a little bit about how we can practically apply this to our lives today. So Jesus says, you're going to recognize them by their fruits, but that's, that's all the information he gives us. And so what I want to do is I want to talk about two things that might help us when we think about fruit. So what was Jesus talking about? I want to talk about two things, and most commentators mention these two things. The first is character. Who are these people? Who they are? The fruit of their character. And then their content. What do they say? So those are going to be the two things I want to just mention briefly this morning of how we can actually maybe apply this text to our lives. Is so We have to know the fruit of their character and the fruit of their content. Here's a quote from uh, Charles Quarles in his message, uh, Sermon on the Mount, or his, his um, book, Sermon on the Mount. He says, this, The Gospel of Matthew consistently uses the term fruit to speak of deeds that reveal the moral character of a person. And Jesus uses the same illustration, the same metaphor in Matthew chapter 12, 33. He says, For the tree is known by its fruit. And so when I'm thinking about fruit, the thing that comes to my mind, one of the most clear passages, is from the Apostle Paul in his letter to the church in Galatia. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. Look at what it says in chapter 5, 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So if you want to know what the character of a true prophet is, they're going to Exemplify. They're going to model the fruit of the Spirit. Right before Paul gives this list, he gives another list. He doesn't call it the fruit of the flesh, but he calls it the works of the flesh. Look at what it says in chapter 5, 19 through 21. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery—that's not a word we use often— enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries— Dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things of these like. So I think that Paul gives us a good illustration of what should we actually be looking for in the fruit of a person's character. If you notice that somebody is constantly or consistently living in what Paul refers to as the works of the flesh, I would just say I would have a little bit of caution of how much you're buying what they say. If you see somebody consistently living out the fruit of the Spirit, I would say that might be a good indicator that this person is actually trying their best to faithfully follow Jesus. But I want to to make a note really quickly because just like that fruit metaphor is that it takes time. You have to get to actually know somebody before you can actually evaluate them. You have to see them for an extended period of time before you actually know who they are. In one of the commentaries I read, uh, they talked about people that are really quick to call out people for being a false prophet or a heretic, and they call these heresy hunters. We don't want to be those people. Right? We don't want to just see somebody that says, oh, man, I saw you in the parking lot, and uh, I saw you lose your temper. You're a false prophet, right? Of course, that's ridiculous. But you have to actually know somebody. And this, I want to make a mention of this, this is really important for us because we get a lot of our information on the internet. We get a lot of our information on the internet. Way more information, I promise you, probably for the most of the part, all of us get more of our spiritual formation outside of church than in church, on the internet or in our conversations with people around us. So we need to just be really careful... That when we're, we're watching somebody online, we're not necessarily going to know who they actually are as a person. We just have what they say. And so we need to be aware that part of identifying a false prophet is identifying their character, consistent character. And the last thing this morning that we're going to talk about is the second part of this, is the content, what they say. So in order to identify the fruit of a false prophet, you need to identify who they are, the character of that person. And you also need to identify their content. What does this person say? We observed earlier that in the Old Testament, false prophets consistently promoted rebellion against God's word. That was their MO. They encouraged people to be unfaithful to God. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. They encourage the wicked that he should not turn away from his evil. The Apostle Paul to his uh, to uh, Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 3 through 4 says something very similar. He says this, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into mist. Look at what he says. A time is coming when people are no longer going to endure sound doctrine. But what are they going to do? They're going to have itching ears. It's kind of a weird little image. But they're going to find things that they want to hear. They're going to find people that tell them what they want to hear. They're going to try to find people that will justify their sin. And so, as God's people, we need to be aware that we don't fall into that same trap. We need to be aware of our biases. We need to be aware of our weaknesses. And don't find people to just agree with everything that we say so that we feel better about ourselves. We want to be people that find people, that listen to people, that teach the word of God whether or not it feels good to us. Many commentators have noted the context of this in light of what Pastor Riz preached last week, right? The broad and narrow gates. Jesus gives a really hard illustration. He talks about this narrow gate being the one that gives life, and this broad gate the one that leads to death. And he addressed this false teaching of universalism, where people would try to say, "Ah, that's not really what Jesus meant. It doesn't matter what path you take. They all lead to life. They all lead to the Father. And Pastor Riz pointed out that that is not a biblical doctrine, and it is any wonder that Jesus gives this warning right after that? It's because there's going to be people in our lives, there's going to be people in the church that attempt to undermine what Jesus says because he, they, people know that that just sounds better. That's just an easier truth to swallow. So we need to be aware of the character and the content of these false prophets. All prophecy or teaching must align with God's word. When someone claims to be speaking on God's behalf, it must be in accordance with what God has spoken in his word. I want to read a quote from John Calvin. He says this, All doctrine must be brought to the word of God as the standard in judging false prophets. The rule of faith holds chief place. And in conclusion, I think it's important for us to ask ourselves, does this person consistently teach Doctrine that is either in accordance or not in accordance with the Bible. Again, consistently, people are going to say stuff, they're going to make mistakes all the time. Just because you hear somebody on a Sunday morning on a YouTube video say something, you're like, that's not biblical. Maybe they made a mistake. Maybe they need some correction. That doesn't mean that they're intentionally leading people astray. But if they're consistently promoting a doctrine or theology that is not in accordance with God's Word, I would say for you to be weary. All right, so in conclusion, just to wrap this up with the the points that I have mentioned, again, this, this text is a little bit interesting. It's a little bit odd for us maybe to think of how this actually relates to our life, but I think it does. So some of the things that we noticed in our text was this, that Jesus wanted his followers to be aware of the reality of false prophets. False prophets promote rebellion and unfaithfulness to God's word, often for their own personal gain. False prophets are intentionally deceptive with the intention to bring destruction. False prophets can be identified, but it does take time. Just like it takes time for a fruit to grow on a tree. You have to also know what you're looking for. The things that we should be looking for as a church is number one, the person's character. Who are they? Does this person consistently exemplify the fruit of the Spirit or the works of the flesh? And the second and final thing was the content. What does this person say? Does this person consistently teach doctrine that is in accordance with The Bible. I wasn't quite sure how to end this message because it's kind of like, well, there you go. Um, And I don't know how you're going to apply this as we come to a conclusion and I'll just invite the worship team to come up as we um, enter into kind of our second half of our worship time. And this time is is for us as a church to respond to the message this morning. And um, I'm just going to trust that the Holy Spirit has spoken to you and to leave that up between you and God of how he wants you to respond this morning. But as we, as we sing songs, I encourage you guys, if, you, if you're comfortable to stand, if you're comfortable to sit, you can also come up here and kneel on the carpets. That's what they're here for. We also have uh, some people over here on our right, I think, that uh, would love to pray with you if you have anything that you would like prayer for. And every week we also have communion. This is a great time to, to, to pause our daily life, remember the sacrifice that Jesus gave to us on the cross, ground ourselves, identify ourselves in the burial, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so um, I'm gonna close this in prayer and then feel free to uh, worship God in however uh, you desire. So Father, we just thank you for the gift of your word, God, and I thank you uh, that... Although it's, it's an old book that it, it has such amazing uh, relevance to our lives today, God, and we want to be people that don't just hear your word, God, but we want to be people that actually respond appropriately to what you have said to us as a church, God. And I pray that uh, Reality Honolulu, God, that we would be people that are aware of the dangers, of, uh, of people that would try to lead us away from faithfully following you, God. And I pray that we would be a church that's marked by faithfulness to you, into your word. And uh, yeah, we just say that we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.